Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Good morning, everyone. Today I have Jill Reagan. She is a small farmer uh, who decided to start growing all her own food after she realized the food system was broken. She has a YouTube channel called Whispering Willow Farms and just released the book Tiny But Mighty Farm. Hi, Jill. Hi, thanks for having me today. Thank you. Do you want to tell us a little more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So like she mentioned, I'm Jill. I'm married to Nathan. Um, We have three daughters. We just recently started farming full-time. I've been farming full-time for a few years now, but um, back in the winter, my husband came home and that's kind of been uh, a game changer having us do it together. But Absolutely. Yeah. So we're in central Arkansas. We live uh, on about 4.3 acres. The really kind of tricky thing about our property is it's up on a ridge. And so we have very little space uh, for growing vegetables and flowers because we've got massive boulders all on our property. (laughs) And so we've had to be really creative. That was kind of the whole um, momentum behind the book, The Tiny But Mighty Farm is like how we had to learn to max out our small space efficiently, which you talk to some people and they're like, oh, four acres is massive. Well, it is if I could farm all four acres, but it's actually a very small uh, percentage (laughs) that we are able to farm. And so through that, we've just spent a lot of time encouraging and educating other people, um, you know, to grow their own food and grow on a small scale and just the value that comes from that. That's awesome. Now, I totally understand. We used to live on five acres in the high desert of Oregon. And we were like, oh yeah, we can't grow anything here. (laughs) (laughs) so we're on 40 now which about half of it is good for growing but the other half we just run cattle on because there's not much there yeah so you're saying your uh, husband came home and started being able to farm with you what's that been like yeah so just being real transparent it has been an adjustment Uh, I kind of had this I guess naive way of thinking is like this has been a dream we've been working towards (laughs) for the last few years that just like the heavens were going to collide and it was just going to be this magnificent thing and then we learned that you know we've not worked together really ever like we've worked on small projects but like running a business together Um, primarily when I've been running the business with my way of thinking, I've got all of my systems in place. Um, it proved to be challenging for the first few months. We had to have a lot of just authentic conversation of just like, how do we navigate this? How do we get on the same page? Um, and so now I would say probably for the last two months, we've finally like gotten into a groove and it's been, it's just been life-giving, you know, when you're, when you run your own business, it's hard. And a lot of, unless you're a business owner, you don't really understand the grit, you know, that it takes to kind of persevere through those hard days and knowing that you're walking through that with your spouse, who's going to be your number one supporter and encourager. Um, has been really, really just motivating to like, hey, let's just put our heads down. Let's keep doing this thing. We know the impact that it's going to have. Let's just keep reaching and touching more people. That's great. You know, my husband's a disabled vet, so he's home all the time. And 
we have a farm together. He kind of helps me run my business, but more just shipping and things like that. And we definitely have our, I'm an, I have an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mindset and he was in the military. So he's used, used to someone telling him what to do all the time. And I don't like having to tell him what to do and want him to just know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's I- one where we've had to have those honest conversations too, except what we do is we make a list and then he has his list to refer to when he wants to do something so yeah that's that's really good we we make a lot of lists I've just really we've had to figure out like what works and what doesn't and how really just how we communicate right it's hard Mm -hmm. you own a business with your spouse because it's like sometimes it's me the wife talking to my husband but then other times it's like co-owner talking to co-owner and that might look a little different and so uh-huh. we just like had to have those conversations of like, all right, I'm taking off the spouse hat. I'm putting on the business hat and like, hey, we got to get stuff done. What does this look like? What are expectations here? And I think when we're just vocalized, like, hey, this isn't me as a wife talking to you as my husband or vice versa. This is just from like a business owner standpoint. Where are we at with things? What's the you know trajectory of where we're going and how are we getting there? It just really kind of sets the tone and makes us just way more productive. That's a really good way of looking at it. I uh, My mother-in-law was here for a while and she didn't understand that dynamic of we'd get up in the morning and I'm like, okay, you do this, 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 and this. And she'd be like, wow, she just bosses you around all the time. He's like, well, <laughs> she's my boss. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, I like that way of looking at it, that sometimes you have conversations as co-owners or you know, boss and manager or something and versus as spouses, because that is a different dynamic. Yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about uh, your catalyst to start growing all your own food. Yeah, it's so crazy. So I actually get asked this question a lot. One of my friends asked me today, she texted me, she's like, where, like, what was that starting moment for you Mm -hmm. of growing food? And it's funny because as a kid, you know, my papa really instilled in me gardening. I went and worked in his garden every summer with my siblings. And like, for me, that was that first memory of a garden and it was really sweet. And he taught me how to grow, you know, on a small scale, but I was a kid and like, I hated the garden, you know? And so at the time, that's I was, just work. <laughs> I, know, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go to Papa's and weed the garden. Like, I don't really want to do that. Um, but then fast forward, I went to school for ag business and I had to take a plant science class and I had worked on a cattle farm in high school. And so that was really when you, like when someone mentioned farming, I thought of cattle, horses or row crops, like that's mm-hmm. what's here where we are. So when I took this plant science class and I realized that people farmed vegetables for a living, it's like a light bulb went off. I was just like, whoa, what is this? Like you're farming vegetables. Mm -hmm. And that was when I just like the fire got lit and I went to the farm that I was working at. I asked them if I could borrow a tractor. And at the time they let me borrow a David Brown tractor, which was a stick shift, like old piece of junk. (laughs) And I drove it to my house in the middle of town and I tilled up a plot of land in my backyard. And it was nothing fancy. Like I didn't know anything about gardening. I bought, you know, seeds from Lowe's. I obviously like I tilled my ground. Now we practice a no-till method. And so I was just trying to like figure it out. Um, And that was really when it started. And then each year I tried to 
I tried to learn more, but when I was starting over a decade ago, maybe YouTube was a thing. I don't know, but like, I didn't know about it. Right. So I didn't mm -hmm. know that I could go on, you know, YouTube and watch people. And I didn't know the gardening books to check out at the library. And so literally everything I was doing was just by trial and error. It's like, oh, okay, I'll plant this. Well, actually, what is what does this spacing mean on the back of the seed packet? Maybe I should look into this a little more. <laughs> and so that's what kind of started it. Met my husband now. We bought our first home. You know, uh, had a little bit more knowledge behind my belt. Had a few farms <laughs> that I was uh, volunteering at. And be like, all mm -hmm. right. And really just each year it kept growing. It kept growing. As I continued to educate myself, we changed our systems um, to just be more environmentally friendly um, and then just meet our goal, which at the beginning was just to grow food for our family. Um, and now it's what we're doing as a business. Absolutely. I, I was an ag major myself and I, I grew up in California where you should be able to grow anything. Yeah. Of course, I grew up, we had a cattle ranch and we hunted. My dad was a big hunter. So everything in our freezer was something we killed. And my probably hear my child squawking in the background. <laughs> It's his birthday today and he got a, um, a, like a inflatable tent thing and he thinks it is amazing and screams the whole time he's in it. So, <laughs> um, anyways, so yeah, I, my family had a cattle ranch. We killed all of our own meat and we had a small garden, but it was never much. And I was a black thumb, like in California, you should be able to grow anything. And I could not. I actually, I mean, even in all my ag classes, all my greenhouse classes, I was the only one, always the one who killed everything. And when we moved to North Idaho, suddenly it just clicked for me. And I have amazing gardens every year. And I'm the one who sells all the heirloom plant starts locally. And <laughs> it just, sometimes when it's, when you're ready for it, it's a different story. Absolutely. All right. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah. So the Tiny But Mighty Farm, man, this was such a passion project, almost like two years in the making from, you know, idea and concept to paper and out to people. But really, it was just to encourage people, you know, that if you don't have a lot of land, you can still grow food for your family. If you don't have money for equipment, you can still grow food for your family. And it was just kind of switching the dynamic right because growing up row, row crop farming like that's massive and so for me I always just you know associated farming with massive combines and like acres and acres and acres and when my husband and I were starting out we couldn't afford it and you know through the last few years land prices have continued to increase and so it was just like how do I encourage people who have a quarter of an acre, who have half an acre, who have one acre, that, hey, you can do this and you can do this at scale. And I'm going to teach you all of the systems. So really the book kind of starts out by highlighting that small scale farmer and identifying like, what are you? What is your goal? Who are you as a farmer and a gardener? Like, are you just doing this as a hobby? Are you doing this to feed your family? Are you wanting this to become a business? And so it's really kind of walking you through why we should put more emphasis on the small scale farmer, identifying which one you are, and then walking through all the nitty gritty. We talk about soil, we talk about starting seeds, we talk about uh, different styles of gardening. And then of course, like raised beds and you know in-ground gardening, high tunnels, greenhouses, cat tunnels, like the whole picture to start a farm at scale. 
And even if you don't want to scale, what are those systems you can still put in place? And then the last chapter, we wrap up with what happens if you want to make this a business? How do you find a market? Um, how do you set yourself up for success to sell your produce? Because that is the background that I'm coming from is having sold produce. We took several years off and now we are right back jumping in that journey uh, this year with my husband home. And so that's been really fun just to kind of walk through the different seasons of us like professional hobby professional uh it's been fun no we've definitely done that back and forth a little ourselves we have uh, nine sows and raise a lot of piglets and some years i mean the farm completely pays for itself plus and other mm -hmm. years it's just feeding us so it's one of those things luckily that's not our only source of income <laughs> right so what are some of your best tips for people on small farms or small pieces of land? Yeah, I think one, it's getting a system in place, right? I see so many gardeners um, doing things that aren't efficient and I'm all about inspiration, right? Like I, I'm, I'm going to be your cheerleader, my own cheerleader all day long. And so it's like, how can you still have the integrity of being excited about something but it also makes sense, right? So let's talk about raised beds. I feel like everyone wants to do a raised bed garden because they're beautiful. And if you go to Instagram, that's what you see, right? You see these beautiful raised mm -hmm. beds. But if you're working on a small piece of land and you don't have a very large startup budget, a raised bed is actually a really bad option because it's going to be your most uh, expensive inputs. If you have good soil, you can max out more space and spend less money growing in ground, but you don't know that until you evaluate. So one, it's like create a system within that system. You should know your budget and you should know your goal and you should build everything off of that. And if your goal is to not spend more than 500 bucks, well, then you've already knocked yourself out of the running for a raised bed garden, right? So now let's start right. putting inputs in your soil. But it's this idea of like, you don't need that. You don't need raised beds to grow a lot of food. Um, you know, you can still grow in ground and it can be beautiful. You can hang up wind chimes somewhere. You can still do, you know, arch trellises over mm -hmm. your indoor beds, but you're really not going to know that until you figure out what your goals are. And I think that just to avoid wasting time, money, and energy, you have to know what your goals are up front and then build your farm and your plan according to that goal. That's really great advice. You know, it's funny. Um, we never had raised beds and we have two gardens, uh, one right by the house and then one that is outlined by a small orchard. And then we do a garden inside of it. And this last year, I kept having like really bad allergic reaction to something in our garden. Like we didn't know what some weed that was growing out there. And I've done all the testing with an allergist to find out what it was, but I was, you know, full hive, sometimes anaphylaxis. And it was terrible because I love my garden and I also love gardening barefoot. And you can't do that when you have to cover your whole body to not break out. And so the little garden by our house, we ended up putting raised beds in. And we're keeping the big garden for like corn. So I don't have to be out there weeding and stuff as much. And I was, we were able to do our raised beds almost completely free. Uh, we just, you know, traded with neighbors and, you know, I used broken fence boards from the local mill, like they couldn't sell them. So we patched them up and I have a great cedar beds now. And wow. um, I was telling somebody about it. And they're like, wow, I never thought of that. I thought raised beds were just for city people. 
And I was like, no, they're for country people that are allergic to something too. Yeah. And you can definitely use recycled <clears throat> material. I talk about that in my book too, if you are wanting to get by with a budget. Um, again, I think knowing your goals, right? So we do mm-hmm. a market style garden and raised beds. It's harder to get broad forks into. It's oh, harder yeah. to feed. And so again, if it's just this hobby, right? And you're going out there mm-hmm. for this therapeutic thing, just for this mental decompress and you've got the budget to do that, or you have the you know recycled material on hand or available to you, do it. But you're not going to know that if you're just like, I'm going to grow a garden and that's just that. Well, you could grow a garden and you could hate it or you could grow a garden that you can't scale and you have to completely knock down and redo from scratch. Right. So, again, just knowing that goal really kind of I don't want to say dictates, but it helps guide you through the best decisions. Right. Like you created a raised bed out of necessity. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And We had raised beds on our property when we bought it, but it is really hard to put some of those efficient systems in place in the raised beds. So we do flower production. Right. Things that are a little more hands off that, yeah, I'm not having to go in and cultivate. I don't need mm-hmm. to get here in the bed because it's just harder to kind of maneuver around in those raised beds if you're building them with like a bordered structure. Absolutely. I agree. I, I even, I'm finding my challenges with this one, but like I said, it was out of necessity, but our other garden, I mean, it's still, we do the corn and potatoes and squash out there. The ones I don't have to be out there messing with as much. And then our orchard around the edge, my husband just goes out with the lawnmower and like mows all the way around. And then I can be out there and work and not have to deal with the weeds. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice. Well, and if, if you're not going to grow a garden or you're going to have a raised bed garden, have a raised bed garden, right? If, if that's the only, like your only Mm -hmm. option for growing food and not that it's wrong, it's just for our needs, raised Mm -hmm. bed gardens don't make a lot of sense, but we have them all over our property, you know, right? (laughs) it costs us more money at this point to take it down and start over than just to leave it and find something that's going to grow well in that condition. But if it's like, Hey, I've got a raised bed garden or not grow food, we'll do a raised bed garden. Like you got to figure out what's going to work for you. Absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, it's all about trial and error. Cause we've done a few different things and this is so far what has worked best for us. And, you know, I kind of always say homesteading is a giant science experiment. So. Yes. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, coming from the nerdy science major, you know? <laughs> uh, so I was watching um, some of your stuff on Instagram this morning, just trying to get a feel for you. And so I have a personal question. How do you get your soil blocker to work? So what are, what's the issue that you're having with your soil blocks? It falls apart. Okay. So this is really good. I actually shot a video today because I posted okay. a on Instagram about how easy soil blocks are. And then there was a slew of questions. So if your <laughs> soil blocks are falling apart, it's because it's not wet enough. So if you were used to starting seeds, you know, you've got your, your mixture, your component, mm-hmm. your soil medium, you're adding a little bit of water to where it's kind of spongy, but it's not saturated. You don't want it saturated. With the soil block, you want it to be like soup. So it's going to be overly wet. And so what I do is I like to take a big black tote. I'll fill it, not all the way up, but like a quarter of the way up with soil. And I add water to half of it. And it's like a big bucket of water. All right. And then I'll slowly grab from that other side and keep maneuvering. When you pick it up and you squeeze it, you want water dripping. And that's one of the keys to it not falling apart. If it falls apart, it's too dry. But then also people have 
a lot of issues when it comes to moving their soil blocks, either in the greenhouse, if they're growing indoors, when they water. And so what I see is people using these styrofoam plates and they're building their soil blocks on it, which is great, right? It's a low cost point. When you bottom water, you're touching the soil block directly and it's disintegrating that soil. And so we get the mesh 1020 trays from Bootstrap Farmer and we stick those in a deep 1020 tray. So we're bottom watering and it's coming up through these small little mesh holes and therefore it's never actually touching the outside of the soil block. It's just watering strictly from the bottom. They're both bottom watering, but it holds the integrity of your soil block better. And so usually it's like when you're building up your soil medium, it needs to be soupy, wet, wet. (laughs) And when you're watering, try to have like some sort of barrier between your soil block and where you're actually watering. Okay. That really helps. I hadn't even gotten to the point where I could water because they were falling apart. And last year, the research I did was that I was basically using the wrong soil and living in the middle of nowhere. It's not easy to just go pick a new bag of soil. And I saw where you could make your own soil, but again, to find all those components, I mean, they don't have that at my local hardware store and it's an hour drive to the closest nursery. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So soil is huge too. You definitely don't want anything with like large pieces of like bark. Mm -hmm. And so we do a mixture of peat moss, limestone and perlite, and we mix our own. Um, And it works really well for us. We're kind of in the same boat, though. We are having to just get um, the independent components and build Mm -hmm. it because we had one place about three hours from us that we would get super sacks of soil. And last year they went out of business and that really kind of ruffled all the feathers of us farmers because we're like, oh, my gosh, now we don't have any access to organic, um, you know, soil mediums. And so we had to make our own, but definitely quality um, for the soil blocks, uh, quality soil makes a huge difference. Well, I put in an order last night at greenhouse mega store and I had like 20 more dollars so I could get free shipping. So I bought myself a big old bag of soil that said it's the kind that you can use with the soil blocking. So I'm excited for that to come in. I have other soil that I'm just going to use for some of my other stuff, but I'm excited to try it again this year because I start, I mean, last year, I think I sold 1500 starts. Wow. So that's just what I'm selling. And then I have my stuff for myself. So the more I can do where I don't have to put it in the containers to sell is better. Yeah. And soil blocks too. It's great for that. Like last week I started a thousand seeds and it literally filled up like three trays. And when you think about a thousand seeds, only filling up three, 10, 20 flats, that's a benefit, you know, especially if you're a small scale grower and you're limited on mm-hmm. space, you can start seeds in your house in a rack with grow lights start thousands of seeds and sell them. Um, and that could generate income for your, for your family and your farm. And so soil blocks are a great kind of entry point to that. If you're on a small scale, once you can kind of figure out how to use them, potting them up is a big thing. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of people ask questions, why not just start in the bigger one? And the idea is that you're starting in the smallest one, you're up potting into, there's always that availability of nutrients, right. Versus starting Mm -hmm. a tomato in a four inch pot, for 12 weeks before it goes out or you sell it, you've depleted that soil of every bit of nutrients it has. But if you mm-hmm. started a little mini 20, you up pot to a four, then you up top to a single, you're continuously giving that plant new available nutrients at each stage, which I find produce a much healthier um, start. And we don't deal with transplant shock. You just have a much healthier seedling. Absolutely. And I could see that being really handy for greens when you're doing like succession planting, because having yeah. to go through so many 
pots. <laughs> and I mean, we have a pretty decent grow setup, but it's in our mud room. So, I mean, we're out there right now starting our onion seeds and we're having to run heaters because it's still, you know, we use our mud room as cold storage in the winter and then a grow room in the <laughs> spring. And, you know, it's uh, definitely a process. Yeah, for sure. On your YouTube channel, I didn't really get a chance to go peek at that much. What do you have going on over there? Yeah, so the YouTube, it's more just like our family's life, mm-hmm. like life on the farm, life as business owners and vloggers. Obviously, it's what we're doing. It's so funny, too, when you do content creation, you figure out what does best on what platform. So like Absolutely. Instagram. You know, those people are really um, interested in that short, fast educational content as to Mm -hmm. where my YouTube, those are like my people, right? They've been with me from the beginning. They want to know what we're up to on the day to day. Like, what am I cooking for dinner? Like, what is my, what's my plan for spring? And so we kind of have to cater our content for each audience because they are definitely different. So we do a lot of education, but it's not like how to do this. It's like I'm teaching you within a vlog because that's what my people like the best. But it really is just life on our farm and what's going on with our family, our business and our and all of the all the fun uh, adventures we got going on over here. I love that. I've never really thought of it that way because I've struggled having a little bit of a YouTube presence because that's not really my I'm, I'm too straightforward. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, I have the creative gene, but in a different way. So um, it always kind of, we've tried it a couple of times, but it wasn't really our thing. And my daughter's like, it's, it causes me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm with you, sister. <laughs> yeah. It definitely can be, um, it can be interesting. And I think if you start out your channel doing how to's that you can find a lot of success in that, but that's mm-hmm. not how we started our channel. And I did like a three month trial of trying to, uh, test out that of just only mm-hmm. doing how to informative videos and our audience did not like it. And so I think it's figuring out your audience. Had we started that way, it might have done well for us. But since we started like, Hey, come follow our family's journey as we grow our mm-hmm. business that's what they really like. It's just that day-to-day life. Oh, that's interesting. I am putting together some stuff on that I'll probably be releasing later this year, but some videos to accompany my curriculum, which I don't know if you had a chance to check that out, but I write homeschool curriculum on homesteading. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I wanted to be able to create some videos to explain, you know, how to do some of the math problems and that type of thing thing that I find a lot of people have interest in that, you know, they're like, Oh, I need to know how to do that. And I'm like, Oh, that's a way that I could reach the kids and parents. Yeah. I I think that content would actually do really well on that sort of platform, especially if that's like, if that's your niche and like what you're going to hone in and teach on, then I think Mm -hmm. that there's definitely a spot for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I'm writing another book right now and have a few speaking spots lined up. And I was like, yeah, I can't add anything else. to my place. <laughs> I, I feel that I have to rein myself in all the time. That's why I told myself at the beginning of the year, it's like, we're only going to say yes to three conferences. I'm not nice. going to overcommit myself. I still have a responsibility from the farm. And so giving myself these kind of guidelines to not burn out, I find is uh, actually really beneficial. Yeah, that's smart. I'm hustling this year on purpose. So I'm going to a lot of conferences, but it's that my homeschool curriculum, even those who are excited about it, don't understand what it is exactly. Right. 
So being able to get out there and have those face-to-face conversations makes a big difference. But so which conferences are you going to be at this year? So I'm going to be at Baker Creek's uh, Tulip Festival in April. I'm going to be in North Carolina in April, uh, Farm Where You Live conference. I'm going to be at the Homesteading Festival in June. Rory Feek is putting it on in Tennessee. And then I'll be speaking at the Homesteaders of America conference in Virginia in October. Oh, nice. So I'll be at Homesteaders of America. Um, I'm going to be a vendor there. Um, I signed up to be a vendor for the Homestead Festival and never, they messaged back. They're like, we'll be back with you shortly. And I haven't heard anything. Yeah. So they, I just like, I submitted like last year and I just got my stuff uh, this week. She was like, I think they've been transitioning people. Um, Someone's like handling their social media and then someone else is dealing with vendors. So I think that they've been trying to bridge some gaps there. (laughs) Okay. I was like, I was starting to be like, you know, everybody else is begging me to come to their conference and I'm having to tell people no. And that's the one that I'm like, I don't want to beg, but I kind of want to (laughs) go. Oh, I will tell you, it's one of the best conferences I've ever been to. I'm excited. And my husband, he saw Rory Feek at Homesteaders of America two years ago. And he's like, we have to go to this one. We will get a sitter. I'm going with you. (laughs) And I'm like, I I don't want to tell him no. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a great one. But no, that's awesome. Um, I mean, well, I'm excited to get to see you talk at Homesteaders of America. That's, that's my favorite one every year. Yeah, it's, I went last year, not as a vendor, not as a speaker, just went with my friend. And so being able to go this year and kind of shine light on something I'm so passionate about and hopefully just encourage people that really, no matter where you're at, you can start this journey. Um, I'm real excited. Yeah, that's awesome. I, that's kind of where I got my vision for how I wanted my platform and business to look like and went two years ago as a attendee and then last year as a vendor and really kicked off my business. And it was a really great place to connect with so many people. Like the networking is amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, as we're starting to get a little bit close to the end of our time, something I like to ask everybody is what does keep growing mean to you? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, to me, when I think of keep growing, it it actually has nothing to do with the garden. Um, I feel like as a business owner and a gardener, right? They're kind of hand in hand. You have to steward them both. <laughs> to mm-hmm. <find> but <laughs> it's being able to persevere. Like I'm in a season right now where I am dealing with some challenges with my health and like that has mentally really been just draining of just like trying to get answers and figure out what's going on. And for me, keep growing. It's just like show up every day. Right. And sometimes you're not going to be as inspired. Sometimes you're not going to be as creative as you want to be. But if you show up every single day and you just do the next thing. Right. So I, I like to give myself like three tasks, like I'm not asking to like win the world over today. I just need to like get these three things done and keep moving forward day after day. And eventually I'm going to have more motivation. Eventually my health is going to be in a better place. Eventually I'm going to have this, this creative burst and just have all this like creative energy to like chase after all these things. Um, But in the season I'm in right now, to me, it just means just show up the next day and the next day. That's awesome. That's, you know, it's so often we hear um, where, you know, long-term goals, where you're heading, how you're going to make it there. 
And sometimes you, yeah, just need to show up every day (laughs) and that's all you can do. And I definitely feel you on that one. Yeah. And I like being in the hustle and bustle, right? Like you become used to that of just like this constant drive. But with that, there's all these other things, right? You experience burnout. And I talk about this in my book, like how do you avoid burnout, right? How do you, how do you actually, there's been times that I've created this business and then I hated this thing that I created because I had no time freedom. Right. And it's like, you have to figure out that balance. And the truth is like, I'm, I'm not trying to win over the world right now. I'm just trying to show up and get plants in the ground. And like, I'm just trying to show up and cook my family dinner. And just once we learn to celebrate these small wins, the big wins will come, but first you've got to take those baby steps. And I always tell people like, you have to build the foundation before you can lay the bricks. And so I'm in a place where like, we're still building the foundation and every day we pour a little more concrete and a little mm-hmm. more concrete. And eventually I'm going to be able to put the bricks and I'm going to be able to start decorating the house. But if I start decorating the house and I don't have a firm foundation, then it's all in vain and it's going to crumble. And that's obviously not a place where I want to be. I tell my kids that all the time. You can't build a house with no foundation. Yeah. So where can everyone find you? Yeah. So we are on YouTube and Instagram at Whispering Willow Farm. And then we have a website called the whisperingwillowfarm.com. And it's where we partner with um, local artisans and crafters. And so it's really fun. It's just all the products that I'm using. We tried to find an artist or a crafter that can make those things. So we can also shine a light on other small businesses because we, as a small business, understand the importance of that. (laughs) And so it's just kind of this hub where we just highlight a lot of really cool artisans and crafters and what they're doing and help kind of get their story out there. That's great. I love it. And then your book, is that available on your website? It is. So you can get a signed copy on our website, which I think we're pretty low in inventory. We like sold out. I didn't realize that was like a thing. I'm emailed my publisher and I was like, is that really a thing? Like we've run out of books right now. So if that's the case, you can find it on Amazon until uh, our third printing is uh, completed and we'll have them back on stock in our website. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations on selling out. That's always such a great feeling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, um, everybody go check her out and support some of these conferences she's going to be at and grab that book. Cause I was looking at it and it looks great. Thank you. Thank you for having right, me. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education. And I hope that I have given you something to think about this week to help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing.